Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by teaching pastor Clayton Keenan and executive pastor Eric Ferris. We're about to jump into another passage from the Old Testament book of Leviticus, and the passage today is talking about paying off debt. So I thought it might be kind of fun to ask you guys if you had any stories about a time where you owed money or had to pay a debt. You got, got anything? Well, it wasn't it wasn't my debt, but in some ways I, I helped pay it off. So uh, when I was a kid, I, I don't know if you remember this, uh, if you were a kid at my age, uh, you there were beanie babies. So we had, uh, there was this craze of these, you know, little beanbag stuffed animals, and they cost about five bucks to buy. But because there was such demand for certain, you know, I don't know if they were rare or whatever, um, uh, there were some Beanie Babies that were st- kind of being resold for like two, three, four hundred dollars a piece. And so I, I remember a time. So we had dozens of these, my sisters and I. I remember a time when my mom needed to pay a bill, and some of our Beanie Babies disappeared. <laughs> And we, we found out later that we had some that were worth something, and uh, she sold them and paid whatever bill that was that she needed, and we didn't we didn't see any of that money. So uh, I don't know, Mom, if you're listening, uh, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. Very resourceful. Is, is this like something you think happened, or is this a verified Beanie Baby theft to pay <laughs> off bills? <laughs> no, this is verified. So m- Mom and I have talked about this. And she admitted then. it. Yes. Wow. <laughs> This is the real deal. Wow, that is cold-blooded. <laughs> I think it's resourceful. Hey, mom's got to do what mom's got to do. Wait, but who bought the Beanie Babies in the first place? Uh, see, that I, I don't know. That it, would, it was probably a mix. I mean, there, it, depending on the Beanie Baby, it could have been, because we'd saved up for our allowance, but uh, you know, I'm sure some were gifts. Yeah. Hmm. Ultimately, I mean, let, let's be honest, the money came from mom and dad, but Yeah. <laughs> Ferris, you got any stories? <laughs> no. My wife runs the household. She manages all the money, and she gives me a monthly allowance. So I have no stories <laughs> on, on the mismanagement of money or paying off debts. I'm, a, I'm about as financially boring as you get. Uh, I, I have a story. Um, so I, it, I had to be between the age of uh, 9 and 11, so uh, mid-90s there, right? And so we are... Watching the Super Bowl, my cousin Tony and I, all of our family are hanging out at over at her house, and it's between the Cowboys and the 49ers. And all of our family are watching this game, and so she's going to say, well, you know, we need to, we need to bet, like, which, which team's going to win? And so I was like, okay, well, I, I want to bet on the 49ers. And she said, no, I want to bet on the 49ers. And I said, well, that's not going to work. And so she said, well, we're going to flip a coin and, you know, call heads, tells whichever one it lands on, that's our team. So I said, okay. So we did that. Uh, she got the 49ers. I got the Cowboys. Um, 49ers won. So then I ho- owed her $200. $200? Um, you were 9 or 10? Yeah. Which I did not have that amount of money. That's a lot of money when you're little. I did not have that amount of money. That's a lot of beanie babies. That's true. <laughs> but um, little by little over time, like with you know me getting an allowance every now and then, I would give her um, some some money. I, I don't we never got up that very high in the amount of money because I didn't get that much of allowance. But um, I did this for, I don't know, a little while. And then my mom somehow came up in conversation about like where all of my allowance had went. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't have it anymore. And she asked why. And so I told her I, I gave it to Tony because I lost a bet at the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I got in trouble. And then she went and she talked to my aunt was like, 
yeah, what's what's going on here? Like they can't keep doing this. And so Tony was mad at me for a while because you know she got cheated out of her money, and my mom was like, "Don't ever do that again." <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's that's actually a, a great segue into uh, into the passage <laughs> this week. The passage is about debts and having our debts canceled. Ah. So um, maybe we should jump in. Um, let me give a little context here. We're in Leviticus chapter twenty-five. Going to be reading the ver- first twenty-three verses here, and uh, there are two topics in this: uh, the Sabbath uh, and the Jubilee. And we're going to get into what those mean. But as a reminder for context with the book of Leviticus. What God is doing here, giving these laws to his people, is he's not just saying, I want to control your lives. What he's saying is, I want to give you a life that is actually life-giving. I want, I want you to have a life that has freedom and joy, uh, where you uh, maintain that freedom and don't get enslaved to all sorts of things that could dominate and control you. And so whenever you read the laws here, you should be thinking, what kind of life, what kind of community, what kind of people is God trying to make through these laws? And these are some great examples uh, of that, some things that uh, might feel a little strange to us at first, but you'll see they're pretty incredible. So Eric, you want to read? Leviticus 25, the Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather your crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Don't sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants, and your hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. And now the year of Jubilee. Verse 8, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seventh so that the seven Sabbath, it's like a tongue, it's like a tongue twister. So that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee, and they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price, and when the years are few, you are to decrease the price, because what is really being sold to you is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God." Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws, and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. You may also ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. 
The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. All right. Let's start making some observations here. That's the O in comma. What do we got? Oh, man. Uh, First thing that jumps to my mind is the statement that the land is not yours, it's mine. So don't sell it as if it's yours. You're kind of renting it out for its use, but it's not yours to sell. Yeah, it it belongs completely to God, which is is part of the reason he gets to say, here's how I want it to be be used exactly. Um, And so it it, it changes, it reframes how you see the stuff you own. Yeah, to me, it kind of highlights the promise of God's provision. You know, like, um, it's kind of like a, a test of depending on him. Like, I, here's what I'm giving you, and here's what I want you to do with it. And, but in, and if you do that, then in return, I'll do this. You know what I mean? So it's, it's this trust independence type of thing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to think about the, the, what it would feel like. You know, the, you go six years, and the seventh year, you don't plant crops, and you eat whatever just appears on your land. You know, the, there's there's seeds from the last time that have just fallen wherever they fall and things come up, but you're going to trust there's going to be enough there. Like that's a that's a yeah. huge huge like you it it takes some real faith to say, yeah, I'm going to skip the 7th year. It makes me want to uh, grab some farmers and ask them questions about this. Yeah. Like hmm. would they would if we had someone sitting in the podcast studio right now that farmed land at, for a living, would they say that makes total sense? You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, like I wish I had enough faith to let my land rest in the seventh year because that makes total sense. But man, you got to totally trust that you're going to be taken care of during that year. Um, So curiosity. uh, By the way, the year of Jubilee is an awesome name. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So six years they plant and harvest. The seventh year they don't. And then it was, was it seven? Seven times seven. So 49 years they, they do this cycle. And then they have a year where it's the Jubilee. The 50th year is the, 50th the year of Jubilee. Year. Yeah. So the, the understanding of the Jubilee, this is, it, it takes a little bit of explaining, because maybe as we read it, you were thinking, well, how, what exactly are they describing? How does it work? So if God owns the land, one of the things you got to remember is he actually divided up the land between all of the tribes of Israel. He said to each clan, each family, like, here's the land that you're going to have, and this is going to be your family land from here on out. You're going to pass it on to your kids. And the idea was these slaves that had just come out of Egypt, they now were going to have a home, and they were going to know from here on out, we, we're going to be people who can provide for ourselves. Well, God's going to provide for us through this land that he's given. Uh, we're going to have a place to work, care for our family, live, be safe. And so there's this great assurance that comes from that, and God doesn't want future generations to miss out on that. So he's not just saying, hey, just this first generation that gets to go into the land, you get that. He's saying, no, I want you to have something to pass on to the next generation so they are provided for as well. But what happens when a family goes into debt? So uh, things happen, right? Like you make a bad decision, you uh, you take a risk that doesn't turn out, uh, you do something foolish, you, you know, uh, y- you're sinfully wasting your money, whatever it is. Bet on the 49ers. You bet on the 49ers, <laughs> you, do, you do a coin flip for $200. Um <laughs> And you don't have beanie babies that you stored up. I've, I've lost my beanie babies. <laughs> you, um, so what do you do? So obviously there's a responsibility for the person who's gone into debt to do something about that. But what could happen, so like what, what does that person have to do? Well, they can either sell their labor. They can say, I'm going to work for somebody else and, and pay off my debt. Or they can sell the use of their land. They can say, I can, I can 
you know, give this property so they can make money off of it. The problem is if you sell your land and it's with that other person, you don't get to pass it on to your kids. And so at once a generation, God says, we're hitting reset. All the land is going to go back. So when it says return to your family land or your, your return to your family property in, in verse 10 there, it's not saying everybody go home for a family reunion. It's saying you get to move back and start working the land again. It's going to start being yours. Oh, that's really cool. Think about what that would do. If you, if I you, am. That's why I'm so <laughs> quiet right now. Right. I'm, I'm calculating this, this whole economy in my head about how that would work. If everybody got a fresh slate, clean start, Every, what, 50 years, 49 years? Yeah. And the the protection against that being abused yeah. is when you're like, if you're selling the land for someone to use, if there's only two years left before the year of Jubilee, the price that they pay you is really for that two years. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, they're not ever thinking, I'm going to permanently own this land. It's essentially, I get to use this land for two years. So yeah. essentially, it's like almost like a rent. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, it's like renting it out, but getting in a lump sum at the beginning, so you can you can deal with your debt. That that's why one of the verses says, uh, "What's really being sold is the number of crops." So it's saying you get to use it, get whatever comes of it. That's yours, and you're paying for that. Yeah, and 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 it's almost like God anticipates. Oh, people always look for loopholes. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm going to give you a blessing, and you're going to find a way to use it to hurt each other. But it actually, like, if you do it right. It, it leads to an incredible amount of justice, you know? Like each, each person kind of rises and falls based on th- what, how they're responsible with what they It's like they this have. economic and social balance yeah. to all of it. Yeah. Earlier, I wanted the farmer in here to help us think this through. Now I want an economist in <laughs> here to think this through to talk about the merits of this kind of system. This is very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, this is one of those ones where, where people, if they try to use the Bible to be like, yay, capitalism, yay, socialism, I say... Uh, read this. This doesn't fit in anybody's boxes. No, no, like, it this does is not. wild. You know, like, yeah. You know, the other thing that popped out uh, to me, just thinking of that that whole um, trust idea, is I love when God said, "You may be saying, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of like a, I know what you're thinking." You know what I mean? And because like you you think of this like. You're sitting there, you're hearing this command of like, wait, you don't want me to do anything for an entire year? Like, just just let it all go? You know, like, but what what are we supposed to do with our time? Or what are we supposed to, like, we work to eat. Yeah. You know, like, what, because that, that was very much that culture back then. They worked their land, that was their food, that was their livelihood. And so it's like, what, are they, what, do, you, what do you do? No, I just, just trust in what I've provided for you. That's, that's a big deal. It's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. I, I, you think, what, what would you do with that extra year? Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's where your guys' brains went? You think they're all sitting around bored for a year? Well, well if you yeah. took every seventh year off and just didn't work, I mean... What would you do with your So time? this is an interesting thing. I, I, I Every, read a, Everything else. Everything else. All the other things you've been wanting everything to do. Everything else in your life. I, I read a, a book. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Andy Crouch, and he writes about, you know, creativity and, and power and all sorts of interesting things. And he, he has a whole section in a book about this. And he said, um, modern Western people who plan on retirement in some ways plan to set aside one-seventh of their life, but they wait to the very end when you are less able to enjoy the things you would have when you were young. And so he says, what if we actually took a seventh of our life off, but it was every seven years? Like, what if we did it like this? 
And so he does that, but he's got a job where he's able to do that. Um, but it's an interesting thought to say, what if you what if you had that time? How would it enrich your community? How would it enrich your life? I, I don't know. Like, I don't even know how to, like, where to go with that, you know? I'm not saying this is our application for the day or anything. But it sounds good. It, it sounds does, sure it good. Does. It sounds really good. Uh, let, let me make a, a couple of connections here uh, with things later on in the Bible, because the idea of Jubilee comes up uh, a few more times. And uh, w- one thing is to recognize that Israel didn't really keep this command very well. Uh, actually, when you get to the prophets, there are places where the prophets say, one of the things they criticize, Isaiah talks about people who connect field to field and, and house to house. Like there are people who are buying up everybody's land around them and not giving it back in the Jubilee. And so you get these people who have accumulated a ton of wealth and a whole bunch of people who have to work their land because they don't have land to work. So they have kind of slaves and servants there. And so there is this concern, like if this doesn't happen, you, you end up with problems. The other connection that comes up later is when Jesus shows up. And this is fascinating. So in Luke chapter four, Jesus walks in to a synagogue and he pulls open a scroll and it's this prophecy about what's going to happen when the kingdom of God shows up. And the way it begins is, this is the year of the Lord's favor. You know, he, he says, I'm anointed to announce this good news that the year of the Lord's favor has arrived. And that was a phrase that meant the year of the Jubilee. Essentially what Jesus is saying is the debts are about to be canceled. You're about to be able to go home. You're about to have uh, the blessing and provision of God come back into your life. The, the world is being put right. And all of you who owe something because of your foolishness and your sinfulness, you're going to find freedom. And so there, this, this imagery, when we say, wow, wouldn't that be incredible? Jesus evokes that to say, this is what it means to know me. Now that, that's a good thought. I never, never really made that connection, probably because when I read it in the Old Testament, it's called the year of Jubilee. But when Jesus announces it, he calls it the year of the Lord's favor. And so never quite put put those two together, but that makes total sense. Yeah, I didn't I wasn't aware of the, the connection there either. All right, let's let's do meditation first. Um I wanna just pull out this verse here, uh verse ten, where it says, Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Meditation is just prayerfully pondering something in Scripture, and so I want you to imagine that moment, uh, what it would mean if you were there as one of the, the Israelites hearing the announcement of this, or, uh, or yourself uh, hearing Jesus announce that your debt is forgiven. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Let's do the second M in comma. Let's talk about a message. What messages are you guys picking up from this? I, I you know, I was kind of looking at the uh, whole trust and dependence side of things. Uh, but when you 
brought in that whole year of the Lord's favor thing with Jesus, it's kind of hard not to just narrow in on that. Like that's such a a powerful thing to connect the fact that Jesus canceled my debt. You know what I mean? Like I I don't know how to. That's just where my that's where my heart's going now. Like when you, when you kind of put it that way. Um, to know that he did that so that I could have this fresh start, this clean slate. I can be brought back into this family, you know, like, wow. So Clayton asked us to think about what it would feel like if you were there when the year of Jubilee is being declared. And, you know, it says to blow the trumpet to sound everywhere uh, that the year of Jubilee is starting. And Nikki, you have a sound effect, right? What, what are you about to play for everybody? This is Ben Radliff, one of our worship pastors, actually blowing a shofar. Here we go. What? <laughs> Why does he do that and where does he do it? Well, that was in a team meeting. I was just, he, <laughs> he was excited to play a worship song. That we hadn't got a chance to play in a long time, so he was. It was a year of jubilee. Yeah, so it's it's, it's a ram's horn. It's uh, yeah. it's what they would have used as a trumpet back then. He happens to have one in his office for some reason. So I played Clayton's meditation game and tried to put myself in the shoes of people back then, and was was thinking. Imagine what it would feel like if you knew it was coming up. Like if you had all of this weight on your shoulders of debt, of of things that had had happened and piled on over the course of years, and what it would feel like to know that the year of Jubilee is coming. Like, it would feel like the weight would start to lift. And then when you actually go into the year of Jubilee, like when it's all just erased, how much weight comes off your shoulders. Uh, and, and in the same way, when you, when you make the, the leap to Jesus, declaring the year of the Lord's favor, uh, and you, you think about the weight of sin and, and how much that piles on us, like the guilt and the shame and the consequences of our sinful choices and how we just feel this weight. And you know, you talk about people, uh, when you hear people say, like when, they, when God had forgiven them and they were cleansed from their sin, it was like, I don't know, it's just like this weight came off of me. You know, and uh, that's, what, that's what I was thinking about. So, so my, me- my message uh, would be, if, you know, we often try to write this in one sentence, right? Like that's the to try to put this in like kind of a billboardy slogan, or is that application? I always forget. No, that's that's the message. That's yeah. the message. Okay, um, God doesn't want us to carry the weight. Mm. Mm. That's good. Uh, the message I, I honed in on uh, really was that that principle of of trusting in God and then what the results are. So my message is: when you trust God to provide, it leads to rest and justice. So you get both the rest and the justice in this. You know, you get if you actually think that God is giving you all that you need and He's going to provide, even even if you're taking every seventh year off, you get in this mindset of saying, "I'm going to have what I need," and I also don't have to hoard or uh, you know accumulate or whatever and take from other people. There's both rest for me and justice for my neighbors. And so uh, when you have that mindset of God's providing, you trust Him for that. Um, it really it really uh, uh, gets at the heart of those two things. Let's go to the A in comma, application. What do we do as a result of this? When I think about the freedom that we feel when we understand that Jesus has paid our debt for us and uh, taken the sins that we deserve and we have that weight lifted off of us, like it's just another, um, it's something else that reinforces the fact that we, I need to be sharing 
this good news of Jesus with, with people that I know, right? Like if I've experienced that freedom, if I've experienced that weight lifted off of me, um, how can I not, when I know someone else is dealing with, you know, the weight of sin or just not being in relationship with Jesus, just talking to them about my experience with him, you know what I mean? Just sharing more about who Jesus is to me in my life and what he's done for me. Not to like, uh, you know, force the gospel down anybody's throat, but it's that idea of you're in a conversation with someone and they start to talk about something that they're experiencing, some situation, and you can kind of get the sense, you can kind of get the hint that there's something, some underlying sin, there's something going on in their life that's causing this painful situation. And I go, well, let me tell you, let me tell you about something, you know, in my life that Jesus has helped me with, you know, and how you can find that freedom and the weight from that lifted off of you because he, he took that for you if you want to give it to him. Like if you want to give your life to him, he could take that from you. Like it's just, it's just talking more about that. Like how, how do we not talk about that more? You know what I mean? So it's just a reminder of me to talk about it more. I'm contemplating whose message I want to draw an application <laughs> from, right? Because there was there was three good three good thoughts coming out of there. But I'll I'll play the game correctly and and draw an application from the message that I said, which was God doesn't want us to carry the weight, or or for us to carry undue weight. Um, you ever hear people talk about creating a win-win scenario? Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of the coaching on how to handle the land in light of the year of Jubilee is really about creating win-win scenarios. Uh, you know, when you, if someone is going to, going to buy your land and there's only two years left of use for it, do you, you decrease the price? If there's 49 years left of use, you increase the price and there is an equity there. There's, there's justice in play. It's creating a win-win scenario instead of, instead of approaching things with the, I'm going to try to get mine. I'm going to try to get as much as possible. And if I, if I create a losing situation for you, well, that's your fault. I'm a better negotiator, right? Um, but that's not the Christian way. The, the Christian way is to create win-win scenarios. So um, it is. So what is the application? The application is to always, always in, in all interactions and transactions, to find the win-win. Thinking about uh, trusting God, giving rest and justice, I guess I got two things. One, on the rest side, um, I might not be able to take a year off, but uh, the idea of just taking the time off that I can't take off, you know, that we've talked, you know, previously on the podcast about taking a weekly Sabbath, and there, there's a, a wisdom to, uh, you know, taking extended amounts of time off. You know, you may not go on some trip or whatever, but you take some time off to, you know, uh, have uh, be checked out from the work that you're doing. So uh, having some rest, uh, putting a va- vacation on the calendar. Um, the the second application would be similar to what what Eric was saying. Like it's looking in situations where I can generously kind of let people off the hook for some things. You know, there, there, there are times when you have the option of either kind of enforcing like, the, you know, you got yourself in this mess, you made that mistake, you know, you're gonna have to pay for that versus uh, being gracious and helping people in those situations find a way out of that. And there are often times when uh, rather than sort of claiming what I can, um, and I don't just mean kind of in financial things, I mean like in relational things. There are times when someone else might've done something dumb and you, you can either choose to make them pay for that uh, or you can you can be gracious and find a way for them to be restored. And so I think looking for those moments where you say, I don't have to win this time. I don't have to, um, you know, I don't have to, uh, you know, get more for myself. That's good stuff, guys. 
All right, well, friends, that is all that we have for you on the podcast today. Join us again next Monday as we dig into another passage from the book of Leviticus. And in the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, please check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and to start reading along. You can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.